today on Ag News Daily. Because what we want you to do is study a topic that's of interest to you, your farming operation, your agribusiness, um, but also to more widely the agricultural industry. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Mike Pearson. Mike, it is a Friday, although it doesn't always feel like one when you've been trapped in quarantine. That is correct. It doesn't feel like a Friday at all. It feels like just another monotonous day, Delaney Howell. But I tell you what, I just got a press release, and it's a press release that we talked about earlier this week, but I think it is worth mentioning one more time to our listeners who maybe missed it. Delaney, do you want to guess who my press release is from? Who? Tell me. Aggrad. Oh, okay. They have formally announced their 30 under 30 class for 2020. And listeners, if you missed our earlier podcast this week on one of the days that is now all blurred together with the rest of the days, Delaney Howell is nominated or is one of, not a nominee, a winner of the 30 under 30 in the entrepreneurship category, right along with our good friend Mitchell Hora. Yes, it's fun to represent Southeast Iowa because Mitchell and I are from basically the same hometown area. That's true. There must be something in the water down there. Both yeah. of you are entrepreneurs. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm it's excited. that good Mississippi River water. That's what it is, Mike. You're absolutely right. Well, congrats, Delaney. It's very cool to see that in print not just coming out of your mouth. Not that I didn't believe you, but now <laughs> I see it. Now it's now it's real. Now it's official. Now it's official. I tell you what, what other news do you have for us today, Delaney? Well, I actually need to fix quote-unquote, fix something I said earlier this week because when Madison and I were on the podcast earlier this week, I shared the news that the stimulus package had passed already, but it had only passed one of the chambers of Congress. So now it is officially passed in both the House and the Senate. So I wanted to clarify that. It wasn't passed officially when I mentioned it earlier on the podcast this week, but it is now and it is headed to the president's desk. Oh, Okay, right. I was going to say, it has just passed the House of Representatives just here in the last, what, 20 minutes. It was uh, yes. passed on a voice vote through the House. There was, I believe that means it was unanimous. I'm looking through the statistics right now. But, um, yeah, basically headed to the president. So if you made less than seventy five grand in either, so I've got to issue a correction as well. It's not just based on your 2018 taxes. It is based on 2018 or 2019. And if you made more than seventy-five grand but less than ninety-nine thousand, you're going to get something. Um, and if you made more than that in 2018 and 2019, but in 2020 you saw your income take a hit, you will get a tax credit to apply on your taxes when you file them in 2021. So there you go. So still, if you made more than a hundred grand in 2018, 2019, or this year, you're hosed. But you know. Other people are going to get some money. Who knows how in the world it's all going to go out. It's going to take three weeks for this money to oh, wow. get sent out. That's pretty quick, yeah. actually. It is. And that three weeks, I should say, that's what Secretary Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, is shooting for. So it's not a guarantee that you'll have the money in your account in three weeks. But that's what they're they're getting the, the gears of government rolling or churning or whatever it is gears do, meshing, to try and get this thing out by the next three weeks. Yeah, I was talking to my mom this morning. We were talking about this new payment that we're going to receive. And from what she and I both understand, you can't opt out of it because she was talking to my dad and they're like, oh, we don't want to claim more income on our taxes this year. We don't need the money. We think there are other people that could use it, but there's no way for them to opt out of that option either. You just right. get it automatically. 
Yeah, it's just coming to you if you meet the qualifications of a couple earning less than 150,000 or 200,000 and a, or a single earning less than 75,000 or 99,000 in 2018 or 2019 and then you'll get the credit in 2020. It's a very convoluted system. Yes. Why they're just not blasting us all with $1,000 they could have that done tomorrow. Yeah, anyway. I don't know. I could use some some government goodies. <laughs> well, you still have to claim it on your taxes, so it's not free money. Of course, money. it's still income. Yeah. It's income. Right. Absolutely. But $1,000 isn't going to change too many people's tax no, bracket. I suppose that's true. Just blast it out there, government. Listen to me. Just blast that money. <laughs> that's great. Put it in the money cannon. Take that helicopter up in the sky and start dropping. <laughs> That'd be quite something to see, wouldn't it? Oh, man. I would be throwing some bows to get underneath that helicopter, Delaney Howell. Oh, man. Well, if, if as, as a set aside, if you're an ad group who has not yet canceled the presentation in the next two months and you want a speaker, give Delaney or I a call. We've yeah, no got kidding. pretty open schedules. We've got very open schedules. We can do webinars. We can do in-person, whatever. Absolutely. I'm setting up Zoom on my office computer. We can Zoom into your meeting. Whatever it is you need, our fees are very, very reasonable. <laughs> it's a fire sale uh, right now. In, that uh, it is. Ag presentation. That, that it is, Mike. That it is. Well, and if you also... feel like donating any money, just uh, hit us up. Go ahead and send us an email. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily and support your favorite local podcasters. There we go. It's also, I'm not uh, above begging, Delaney Howell. I, I can tell. I'm good. I'm glad that you'll grovel for the money because that means I don't have to. Delaney is also groveling. Let it be, be noted <laughs> on the record. Well, We're groveling um, together. Speaking, Mike, of flash sales... We saw a net sales flash report from China this week, well, ending in March 19th for U.S. wheat, totaling 485,000 metric tons, about half for delivery in this marketing year and half for delivery in the 2021 marketing year, which is about 145,000 tons more than the USDA reported in its daily export sales announcements last Friday and further evidence that China is working to meet those demands to fill at least their WTO tariff rate quotas again after they got found guilty or in yeah. that's not I mean not the right word but found they were that they not in compliance. Yes, exactly. And as we look at other wheat related news, Russia has been quoted now in Bloomberg and a few other ag out other outlets as saying that their agricultural ministry is proposing to the government to limit exports of some of the grains outside of what they need to supply there in their country between the months of April 1st and June 30th. They said that they have to meet their quota of 7 million metric tons that will apply to wheat, rye, barley, and corn. But outside of that, they probably are looking at curbing exports because they're concerned about the COVID-19 situation and want to make sure first that their people are fed before worrying about sending out products outside of their borders. They're really focused on food security. Is this going to actually happen? I don't know. Russia says a lot of things like China that uh, they're going to do this or do that. And they've threatened to curb exports for quite a while now and haven't really done it. So will they actually go follow through with it this time? is yet to be seen. It is yet to be seen, but it's something the market, I think, takes seriously because we have seen Russia in years past say, oh, nope, we're done exporting. And uh, we've also seen similar stories and rumors out of the Ukraine. Delaney, it's interesting. I think that rumor had a little more truth to it perhaps early in the day. Wheat was up 11 cents as we were starting the session there at around 9 o'clock in the front month contract. And then it just 
pretty well sold off throughout the day. I don't know if that was because traders had knowledge that perhaps Russia was going to balk and not end up uh, closing their borders to exports, or if there were some other factors. So we will be digging into that, I'm sure, in detail on Monday on our next Market Monday edition of the podcast. So listeners, stay tuned. However, we do have news out of South America. Um, we've talked for quite a bit, uh, quite a while, quite a few days, in fact, although it seems like months and months, it's only been a few days, about Argentinian soybean exports and shipments. Uh, several mayors in Argentina, mayors of port communities and crushing communities, are very concerned about the influx of truckers during harvest season, which, of course, Argentina is in right now, and they're concerned that this could bring COVID-19 into their towns. So basically, they have been proposing various, or not just proposing, they have actually done this, blocked ground transport into, the, into their communities. This has meant that the supply of soybeans to Argentinian crushing plants is down by half presently, basically after a week, and it is still following. Uh, as I mentioned, this is because they are concerned that if cargo trucks are coming into town, they're bringing truckers from the countryside where COVID-19 might be unreported. Um, this could have some lasting impacts on soybean meal exports from the U.S., as that is what Argentina is primarily known for. Um, Argentina is one of those rare countries in that most of their ag exports are value-added, in that they grow the soybean, they process the soybean, and then they export meal and oil. Well, if they're exporting, their crushing facilities are shut down or blocked off from receiving raw beans, then that opens up the world of soybean meal to potentially U.S. producers. So that is something we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, I just thought it was worth noting that their, gosh, the supply to their plants already is down by half and it continues to fall. So this is going to be a story that we're going to have to keep an eye on. We did see soybeans trade a little higher today, closed mixed in the uh, November new crop contract. But we'll talk about that more in just a little bit, Delaney. Well, Mike, I also think that maybe you didn't mention, and I want to mention, that Argentina's, I'm going to butcher the name of this, but Yergara Union, which represents grain quality inspectors all over the country, have today asked the government to suspend exports for up to 15 days. We haven't seen the government respond as of yet but it would essentially exempt those involved in grain shipment or grain transport from preventative isolation orders. Okay, so exports haven't been halted yet, but they have been asked to halt. Is Correct. that the, the right way to hear that? I believe so. Okay, well, we're going to continue to see supply lines get disrupted as this thing spreads. Yes, we are going to continue to see supply chains get interrupted, including some of our consumer supply chains like eggs. I thought this was interesting. I saw Reuters reported this just yesterday, looking at U.S. egg prices, which have hit record levels. As, you know, products are flying off the shelves, eggs also happen to be one that continue to fly off the shelves as well and have hit an all-time high for Midwest large eggs of about 309 a dozen. Really? So this is a higher high than we saw back in the avian influenza yes. crisis. Isn't that interesting? That is shocking because earlier this year, or certainly towards the end of, of 2019, I'm getting all my years blurred together here in this coronavirus quarantine 
campaign. But um, yeah, egg prices were, were near some of their record lows. Mm-hmm. So this is one heck of a swing in a very short time period. Delaney, I hadn't heard that. It might be time we talk to an egg producer to see exactly how they're going to be able to capitalize on this situation. Absolutely. I don't know a lot of egg producers, Mike, but if you do, please reach out to one. I know a few, but listeners, I know we've got some poultry folks who tune into the podcast. If you are a laying operator uh, in some capacity involved in the industry, somehow reach out to us. Uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily and drop us a note. We- we'd love to hear from you. I had not heard that side of the story, but uh, certainly bears to reason as we continue to watch everything in the grocery store you know, disappear like it's gone out of style. Absolutely. And we're also seeing because of concerns to make sure we have a stable food supply here in kind of the aftermath, whenever that happens to be. But we are seeing the State Department, which is in charge of labor, working to accelerate approvals for H-2A farm workers by waiving interviews for many applicants, which is a group that or a move that was welcomed by many ag groups who were fearing that because of travel restrictions and Social distancing, farms would not be able to get the labor that they needed for this upcoming, you know, harvest season, growing season, etc. going on in the ag industry. Yeah, that is a concern domestically and internationally. Uh, this closure of borders is going to impact ag around the world, Millennial. Yes, it unfortunately is. And food security, I think, is something that we're going to be talking about now, probably until the end of time. Well, and... That's something we should always be talking about. Food security is one of those things that defines a nation. If you cannot provide food for your people, you do not have a country for very long because somebody who can provide food will feed their soldiers and take you over. So it is certainly worthy of discussion. It's just weird to be talking about it in the context of a global pandemic. Right. I just have one quick update. This is something, again, we've talked about yesterday. I know we've been talking about all week the crush that uh, – the crunch, I should say, that ethanol producers are feeling intensified again today. Oil prices dropped more than 5% today. We're on track for our fifth straight weekly loss in that sector as effectively demand destruction caused by coronavirus combined with – Russia and Saudi Arabia pumping more crude oil squeezes and squeezes margins for oil producers. You know, I came into the office earlier today for the first time since last Friday, and it's bizarre. I was the only person on my bus again. I was walking across the middle of the street. I was basically walking down (laughs) Wacker Avenue, down the middle of the street. For those of you who have ever traveled to Chicago, that is one of the main traveled thoroughfares in the loop in Chicago. And there was like one other guy. And that was it. There is just not people driving around, especially in urban areas. And that is helping cause this squeeze that ethanol producers are feeling as well. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And I wanted to share this other quick update, too, when you look at COVID-19 news. Kind of forgot to share it earlier, but uh, that jolted my memory in thinking about that there were not a lot of people out in Chicago. And to... I guess, combat some of the social distancing or trying to get the economy back up on our feet a little sooner. The Trump administration is working at potentially restarting the economy using robust surveillance testing programs. Essentially, the administration is looking at ways to do widespread testing and surveillancing of the country and using that to categorize 
coronavirus concerns in each individual county as either high risk, medium risk, or low risk. And if you are in a low risk county, you'll be able to get back to work a little bit sooner. I'm not sure how this would be implemented across, I don't even know how many counties we have in the United States. I would like to say, okay, I was going to say a couple thousand. So yeah, I'm not sure how they plan to do that or if it's very feasible, but specifically, I would think those counties with pretty rural areas will be able to get back to things, get back to normal a little bit sooner. You know, a lot of our listeners know that I'm kind of a crackpot when it comes to government stuff. (laughs) And I tell you what, this whole concept weirds me right out, Delaney Howell. I do not want the government using surveillance to determine when and where I can go back to work. This is weird. This is creepy. You don't want that? No. No, (laughs) just just no, of course not. Goodness gracious. Lord knows they're going to use it for coronavirus this time. Who knows what they're going to use it for mm, in the future, Delaney yes, Howell. You are. That's what you've got to be aware of. As Ronald Reagan once said, there is nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Yes, you are a little bit of a crackpot conspiracy theorist, aren't you? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a realist. Mm, government okay. programs right. often are used for things that are not their intended purpose. And this is true of not just government. Corporate programs, every every type of policy can be misused like this. But when it's the government, it comes with a... Oh, it always comes with the threat of force, which is uh, something that unnerves me slightly. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for going off on your little rampage today. Would you like to... That's right. If you'd like to subscribe to my newsletter, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's called the, the Tinfoil Hat Express. Yeah. You can uh, reach out to me on Twitter at Pearson Cattle. Um, I just FYI, I don't actually have a newsletter called the Tinfoil Hat Express. Maybe you should start one. Yet. Exactly. That's just what I was thinking. I need a way to generate some income. Conspiracy theorists, <laughs> folks, make some good money. Yeah. There you go. Well, speaking of, well, maybe not making some good money, Delaney, should we take a look at what happened in the commodity markets today? Let's do it. All right, folks. As I mentioned, that squeeze on ethanol producers continues to weigh on the corn market. May corn was down two and three quarter cents at three forty six. Even the December new crop down three cents. Close the day at three sixty four and a quarter. Over in the soybean markets, the May contract was up one and a quarter. Finished the day at eight eighty one and a half. While November new crop was down two and a quarter cents to close the day at eight seventy six and three quarters. Chicago wheat, as I mentioned, up big in early trading, faded as it moved into the close. The May contract, da- excuse me. Up two and a quarter cents to finish at five seventy one and a quarter. December new crop up two pennies, closing the week at five sixty three and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, remember we did have expanded limits on some of the live cattle contracts thanks to a limit move yesterday. April took advantage of that. Unfortunately for producers, it was back to the downside. April live cattle down the expanded limit, four dollar and fifty cent uh, trading mark to one dollar ninety or one hundred dollars ninety five cents. June live cattle down four dollars twelve fifty to close. The day at 89.42 and a half. Feeder cattle weren't trading on expanded limits, but they will be on Monday. April feeders down 450 to finish at 120.60. The May contract also down 450 to close the day at 120.92 half. Lean hogs were also trading expanded limits, and they used them. The April contract down $4.45 at 58.45. The May down $4.50, limit down at 57.62 and a half. Looking over at the world of dairy in class three milk, we had uh, relative stability in the March contract. It was unchanged on the day at 16.23. April, again, took it on the chin after a rough loss yesterday, down 42 cents on the day to close at 15.28. Without further ado, let's dig in to a program that helps farmers interact with other farmers around the world, the Nuffield Scholarship Program. 
Well, for today's interview, we are chatting with Jody Redcliffe, who is the interim CEO of Nuffield International, as well as the CEO of Nuffield Australia. Jody, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Jody, let's get into it here. What is Nuffield International? So Nuffield is a, a program whereby we award scholarships to farmers. Um, we do that around the world. It started over in the UK over 70 years ago um, with a fellow by the name of Lord Nuffield. He um, left a lot of money to charity when he passed away. And since then, which was in the 60s, the program has grown around the world. So we have Nuffield scholars in many, many countries in the world, including the US, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, France, Zimbabwe, Netherlands, heaps of countries, about 1,700 farmers worldwide at the moment. Now that is incredible. When you say give scholarships to farmers, the question that comes to my mind is why and for what, Jody? What are they scholarships to do? <laughs> um, well, it's actually fairly open, would you believe, Mike? Um, it's a bursary that we give to the farmers. Obviously, there's an application prog program. We're not um, giving it out willy-nilly. But we give a bursary to farmers to go overseas um, for a period of time, about 16 weeks in total. Some of that is set by us. Some of that is up to you where you'd like to go. Because what we want you to do is study a topic that's of interest to you, your farming operation or your agribusiness, um, but also to more widely the agricultural industry. So for, if I could give an example, so for example, I did a Nuffield scholarship myself in 2013. At the time, my husband and I here in Australia had a broiler farm, a, a chicken, meat chicken operation. And I was interested in learning about how we can improve consumers' perceptions of intensive industries. So I did a set tour, which was six weeks to six different countries, which included India, Qatar, France, uh, Turkey, Massachusetts and Washington states um, in the US and also France. And we went to heaps of different businesses, heaps of different farms and talked to farmers about their experiences of farming, which is sometimes very different, different but sometimes very similar to what you're doing at home. Huh, that is very interesting and neat to hear about your experience as part of this program. To clarify, Jody, do people that apply to be Nuffield Scholars, do they have to be working actively on a farm or own a farm to be involved in the program? No, they don't. Um, we kind of do like to characterize it as a, as a farmer program because we think the strength of the program is we're farmers talking to other farmers. But certainly we have um, scholars and we call our participants scholars because you do write a report at the end of it, but it's not an academic report. Our strength is that we are talking at a practical level to other people that are in the industry. So it's mostly farmers, but it can also be people that are involved in related industries or, or in an agribusiness type of a role. So let's talk about what farmers or folks in the ag industry typically get out of this. You mentioned your exploration back uh, of several years ago when you had the chance to do your tour. 
what do people study or how do they determine what it is they'd like to study as they're applying for the scholarship? Hmm. I guess, um, you know, you guys would know the thing that gets you out of bed every morning, no matter what you do, is, is your passion for what you're doing. And you like to think you're improving yourself and improving your business. So that's, that's what we want from our Nuffield scholars. We want people that have a passion for the agribusiness or the, the farming business that they're in and see a gap in their knowledge and want to go out and investigate that. But the very cool thing that happens is that it's an amazing way to build that person's own leadership abilities and confidence in their own abilities in what they do. So we have an amazing network around the world and the Nuffield farmers, when they go traveling, don't just rely on that that network. They do go and see all sorts of farms and businesses and, you know, related businesses. So for example, I've got a really good friend who's a, who's a popcorn farmer in Japan. So, you know, when he travels overseas, he actually goes and sees small, small scale factories because his farm in Northern factures his own microwave popcorn, um, you know, products from the corn from his farm. So he's looking at very different things than I would look at when I go looking at chicken farms. But, in that process, he's becoming more confident in his own abilities as a, as a farmer and a business person, and he's able to connect with like-minded people around the world. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So you'll pick up something, maybe it's just to do with staffing routines or, or you know, maybe it is something to do with, well, I know in Shigio's case, it was to do with how he was drying his, his popcorn. So it a unique system he developed by um, looking at wheat farmers in the US. So there's all sorts of ways that you can learn and grow from the Nuffield program. And really, the people that um, become good Nuffield scholars are those ones. It's almost like uh, the X factor, the people that have that little something special that they're going to give back to industry and they're going to improve their own farms. And in 30 years' time, we have lots of Nuffield scholars that end up in just amazing places, whether they're on Capitol Hill or they're in Parliament in Australia, whether they're in an ag advocacy role, um, or whether they're just powering along in their own business and going from, you know, as the case of a Barramundi farmer in Australia, in the last five years, he's gone from four staff to 117. And a lot of that is to do with his, his Nuffield scholarship and having the confidence to grow in his business. It's uh, certainly impressive to look at the list of previous or past Nuffield scholars, but looking at the application process itself, walk us through what that looks like. Do I just need to have an idea apply and then I get in or what does that process look like? Yeah, Delana, that's, that's pretty much it from, from um, a very basic standpoint. So we have a website, nuffieldinternational.org. And that website's got a whole heap of information in it, including all the past reports from Nuffield scholars around the world. It's also got the application process um, spelt out. So it's a matter of doing an online application. And then in these days of uh, Zoom and digital technology, we do um, connect via the phone or via Zoom. And then depending which country you're in, there'll be uh, a face-to-face -face interview process and then the whole thing kicks off. So when you get your scholarship, as I said, there's a period of time that you're awarded to go overseas. So you have a bursary to go overseas for 16 weeks. You do a 
10-day, two-week conference to begin with, to kick it off, which is somewhere in the world. Next year, it happens to be in the UK. Then you have a six-week set tour, and you'll go to six countries or so and, and just learn about the agriculture in each of those countries, uh, learn about the culture, indeed, of each of those countries, um, and learn stuff you didn't think you didn't know. Um, and then the rest of your 16 weeks is taken up with you um, deciding where you want to go and when you want to go over a period altogether of about 12 months. And then you've got another six or so months, say, to write your report. So that's a 10,000 word report. It gets presented back to Nuffield and back to industry. That is fantastic. And what a great way to spread the information that this industry has developed. But Jody, I've got to ask you, this program has been around since the 60s. How do you guys plan to continue funding this on into the future? What are the revenue generating means of Nuffield? We rely on very generous investors to invest in our Nuffield scholars. So um, as we all know, the agricultural industry is vitally important to all of us. And in these days, even more so, we've got to keep up um, our food and, and supplies to our uh, global population. Um, and so we have a lot of agribusinesses that see the Nuffield Scholarship Program as a really great way to invest in the future of agriculture because they're investing in something positive. They're investing in people. And in any, any industry, we know that the people are the secret source. So if you invest in the people in a Nuffield Scholarship, again, the person that does the scholarship gets something sometimes that they didn't think they were going to get out of it, but also so does the investor. So the investor gets that link to, as I said before, at the moment, 1,700 worldwide Nuffield scholars in, in 12 or 14 different countries, I think we are at the moment. So you've got that ability to connect with innovative farmers and agribusiness people that want to learn more, that want to connect. Um, and that's an enormous advantage for lots of different countries, for companies, sorry, for banks, for agribusiness companies. Uh, worldwide companies for example here in australia we give out about 20 or so scholarships every year and our investors range from philanthropic organizations to banks to agribusiness um, and our own alumni also invest in our scholars as well well it is certainly neat and jody before we let you go remind our listeners one more time how they can find out more information if they have interest in perhaps becoming a nuffield scholar yeah, the best thing to do is go to our website, which is nuffieldinternational.org. And I'm sure you'll have that link on the podcast. Thanks very much, Mike and Delaney. Um, and you can read there a lot of the stories of Nuffield scholars and what they've done. And then there'll be some links through to the application form. But again, I would ask anybody that's interested, just give me a call or a Zoom or something like that. Here I am in Australia talking to you guys over in the States. So the world it's a very small place these days. We're all very much connected and that's fantastic. Absolutely. It, well, again, a big thank you there to Jody. Personally, I have to say, I love that we're able to connect with people literally all over the world. As Jody mentioned there, she was in Australia when we were recording that interview with her, but it's just fascinating. I think this program too also allows us not just technology, but the ability to go out and explore agriculture in systems unlike ours. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the key ways we grow and share information is we get out there, we interact with people who are doing things a little differently and or maybe the same but with a different twist. And uh, that's what Nuffield allows people to do. We'll be back with more conversations. In fact, we'll be talking with a Nuffield scholar next week, so be sure to stay tuned in. If you have missed any of our past episodes, you want to get caught up, do that this weekend while you're trapped in your house. Head to <laughs> agnewsdaily.com. You can get caught up on all of our past episodes as well as filling your time with podcasts from other fantastic agricultural podcasters who are all part of the Global Ag Network. With that, Delaney Howe, should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.